This is IVP. If you're the kind of person who loves the stories behind the stories, check out the Every Voice Now podcast, which features the often unknown publishing journeys of authors of color. If you're a writer of color or you care about writers of color, you'll be so inspired by these stories and you'll appreciate the words written by these authors all the more. The Every Voice Now podcast is an InterVarsity Press production. Visit everyvoicenow.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas. Nancy Wong Yoon and I are looking at cultural representations of Christmas, the Christmas industrial complex, and we're analyzing it from a racial and ethnic perspective. And we're not haters. We love Christmas. We love Christmas movies and the culture around it in so many ways. But how does Christmas look if it's not whitewashed, as it has so often been in our culture? So, Nancy, I cannot believe it. But this is episode four. We're at the end of our series. How do you feel about that? I feel like we've taken a journey, <laughs> a journey, a journey from uh, looking at our childhood Christmas to looking at movies that we grew up with to movies we are now partaking in that actually have people that look like us to talking about finally Jesus today and, <laughs> and the whiteness of, I guess, both Santa and Jesus and Santa versus Jesus, right? That is going to be right. the, the topic today and I think that this is you know really interesting because it's so much I think it's, it's so much of a cultural and religious I think I don't know impasse or really nebulous space that I think people of faith in the United States are are in but I don't know if we ever critically examine it I mean I've always felt the tension Santa mm. or Jesus can mm. we have both <laughs> right right and can we have them not white I mean you know this is the <laughs> the perpetual dilemma of what is Christmas culturally and faith-wise for me. What was so interesting to me, I just got back from a trip to Benin in West Africa. Yes. We were mostly b based in the largest city in Benin, Cotonou, and you could hardly tell it was Christmas there. I mean, there were some signs, there were some lights, there were some sort of of their version of Christmas trees. It's a, like a tropical environment, so it's like 90 degrees. It's, it's not a snowy Christmas at all. But it just highlighted for me the ways in the United States that we have built up this massive consumeristic, really, culture around Christmas that so often points to many different things, including Santa Claus, but but not to Jesus so often. And by way of getting into the conversation, folks don't just have to take our word for it. Other people are noticing this too. So I stumbled across this thread on Twitter by a guy named Muhammad Hussein, and he talks about being Muslim and not celebrating Christmas growing up, but, but this year he did. And I just want to read you this 
thread real quickly and get your reaction. He says, growing up, my Muslim family never celebrated Christmas. This year, I'm not going home because pandemic. So my roommates are teaching me how to have my first proper Christmas. I'm approaching this with anthropological precision. Here are a few observations. And in that first tweet, he has this picture of a beautiful Christmas tree in their living room, presents at the foot of the tree. And then he says, observation number one, Christmas is a part-time job that you have from mid-November to the end of December. From the outside looking in, (laughs) Christmas always seemed pretty simple. I always thought you put up a tree and then you gave gifts to family. This is a lie. It goes on to say, (laughs) do you want to sleep in on a Saturday? Too bad. Go put up some lights inside the house. Oh, you want to sleep in on Sunday? Too bad. Go put up some lights outside the house. Next weekend? Nope. Every free moment you have will be spent agonizing over the gifts you must buy. Observation number two. People have very strong feelings about their Christmas traditions. If someone is insisting that certain food is what you have to eat Christmas morning because that's their family tradition, all caps, do not suggest alternatives. They will stab you in the neck. (laughs) And then lastly, observation number three, you can buy yourself a gift, but you can't stuff your own stocking. I don't understand this one, but I told my roommate I bought stuff for my stocking, and they said, that's not a thing. I don't care. I bought myself mint chapstick, and I will fake surprise. (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I guess it's... You have ha- it's supposed to come from Santa, right? This is like you know I wrote um, a piece where I talked about it was published on today that I talked about growing up and the first thing I did was put put up some paper cutouts of this is I was seven years old of stockings because I had read that Santa that's where Santa places his gifts. And nothing happened because uh, my immigrant dad had no idea that he's supposed to be oh. Santa. And I was so sad because, yeah, someone else has to put something in there. That is like the tradition of the stocking mm-hmm. because that is associated with Santa. But none of that is Jesus, <laughs> right? It's, right. And everything that was just described is the Christmas industrial complex. I mean, the feeling of it being a part-time job of having to... Yeah essentially decorate and, you know, be a consumer, all of that costs money and time and the pressure of having to be festive. None mm. of that. I mean, I guess if you think about it, like, oh, I want to celebrate the birthday of Christ, but I don't think that that is, I doubt that his friends told him that part right. <laughs> when, he was, when they were preparing him for his first Christmas. It cracked me up when I first read it because he's like, uh, Christmas is a part-time job. <laughs> like it it can so be true. all consuming. And obviously there's a spectrum of of how into it people get. But even if you want to do essentially the minimum, which he thought was put up a tree, get some gifts, that in itself is so much work. And like you said, throughout this entire thread, no mention of religion, even, let alone. Jesus or anything like that. Now, it's not to say that this Twitter thread was comprehensive. Maybe they did have a big, long sit-down conversation about the reason for the season. But in these observations, I thought this man, Muhammad, captured so much and, and and so much perception as an 
outsider, not being a Christian, looking in to how Christians have essentially portrayed this liturgical holiday and made it into what we, we've often referred to as the Christmas industrial complex, which can be so stressful, so materialistic, and so far afield from the birth of this infant Jesus in a manger 2,000 years ago. So I thought that was a a helpful (laughs) lead-in to to what we talk about today. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Nancy, that Christmas has become an idol? And I ask that because literally the word Christ is in Christmas, but has it become an idol? Well, the part-time job definitely, I think, points to that because the job isn't, oh, let's, you know, gather around and think about how we can help those vulnerable or or, mm. or let, not even let's go around and like go door to door and talk about the love of Jesus or anything like that, right? Because those could be jo- not jobs, but those could be tasks that are goals that Christians could set. But no, it's very, I think, materialistic. And certainly, I guess you can think of the Christmas tree, Santa, lights, presents, all of that is so similar to the idols of the Bible, right? Where we're Mm. like golden, you know, where we're really building up these spectacles, right? That then take the place, I think, of who Jesus is. And, And yet, if you don't do it, then you're opting out of something that is Mm. seen as almost sacred in of itself, especially for children, right? This kind of like, if you become a parent, if you don't do Santa, if you don't do presents and you're just like, let's just like, you know, sit around and read the Bible and (laughs) focus on (laughs) the birth of Christ and the, you know, the story of the birth of Christ. I think the children would feel like, oh, well, I'm missing out on something, especially not just their peers, but even schools, right? The, The kind of craft projects we have, everything is has been impacted by the Christmas industrial complex. I think you're so right. And that sense of missing out if you don't participate in it is is a big one, right? Because we're both parents. We don't want our kids to feel like uh, we were being legalistic or, you know, somehow like fundamentalist and stodgy by not, you know, engaging in some of these things. I don't think either of us are saying that these practices in and of themselves are evil. In fact, it's really amazing how how much culture is around Christmas. Like, like there's no other season of the year that has this much nostalgia and tradition and ritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single year, it's like the 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 fun, lighthearted argument about when you can start listening to Christmas music, right? And it gets <laughs> earlier and earlier every year. But that's because there's a, a mystique about it. There's a, an engagement about this culture that's been built up. And that's fun. Like, like neither of us are approaching this as, as Scrooges or Grinches to say you can't do any of this stuff. It's all bad. The hot chocolate, the peppermint mocha at Starbucks or whatever, you know, that comes out seasonally. You know, like that's from fun pumpkin stuff. spice to peppermint. From There's pumpkin like, spice you know. to peppermint. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, that's it's it's fun, but we have to be conscious of it, especially if we call ourselves Christians and we know that the heart of Christmas is this hope, this expectation of a Messiah being fulfilled in the person 
and work of Jesus Christ. So that is why we're doing this series, to help remind people of it, to help us be conscious of it. But it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we think about Christmas, we don't think first about Jesus. We think about this other figure of Santa Claus. And so, Nancy, I'm curious, as, as you try to acknowledge the Christmas season in your own family, knowing all the culture that's gone around it, is Santa Claus something that you sort of celebrate or promote in your family? I was told a story by a Christian colleague who had said that she her family had done Santa when she was young. And then when she found out that Santa wasn't real, she was like, well, is Jesus real? <laughs> you know, it kind of really made her feel like, have my parents been lying to me? And what is, you know, what is reality and what is just what they want me to think? So when I heard that, I started to panic. I was like, well, I cannot do Santa because I don't want that to happen. But then I felt, again, like what we just said, like guilty if we don't have presents at least, right? So I would have presents and and I would talk about like St. Nicholas and it's not like I really did any research. I just thought, okay, at least this is like a Christian saint, right? I just, I, I just kept emphasizing that, you know, our presents are really about giving to people who don't have anything, right? That that mm. is that, you know, to give is to better, is better than to receive, um, and I didn't go all out. I never, you know, we I didn't emphasize the 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 red suited Coca-Cola Santa mm. uh, because I felt like that was just too far afield. And again, the fear of, you know, creating this this magical person that then someday they'll have to find out is not real. So it was definitely a kind of like tension always. I didn't know what to do. It was very confusing. And and most people, you know, I, I I'm not sure what other Christians are like. What did what do you do? Do you do Santa? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the the questions about how countercultural should the Christian life be? We're citizens of of the heavenly kingdom and this kingdom too, not just politically, but meaning we live in the real world, right? I think we were sort of left let off the hook because our son, who's twelve now, it, it was never really buying it, <laughs> right? Like he he knew about Santa, of course, from from all the media, but. It, he would still ask us for presents and knew, like we even tried this with the tooth fairy when he was younger and he saw right through that. He's like, so who's going to put the the money under my pillow? <laughs> and it's like, okay, it's not oh, us. I hate, it's, it's I hate the, to the tooth fairy. fairy. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that being whoever, uh, whoever created that, an elf on the shelf, all these things. These are like it's a lot too of work many like magical beings to keep track of. Exactly. So I, I don't know that we put a whole ton of thought into it because it was kind of a moot point before it began, but it's certainly not any part of like a big tradition as as we think and talk about Christmas now. And I'm sure that that's, it's, again, it can be fun, but I like what your approach is to say, you know, this is rooted in a historical figure, believe he was of, uh, this is third, fourth century, believe he was of, of Greek descent, but served in modern day Turkey. So it, it, it's the myth of, of St. Nicholas has changed and evolved over time, along with 
his appearance, <laughs> which I find really interesting. You mentioned before, like this rosy-cheeked, clad in a red suit. You're wearing the Santa hat right now, which is obviously associated with Santa. But it wasn't always the case. So most people, when they think of Santa Claus, are probably thinking of the Norman Rockwell depiction of Santa, which we just described. But I found on the Norman Rockwell website a little bit of the background about the appearance of Santa. And it says this, Back in the 1800s, the image of Santa Claus was not portrayed as the round, jolly, bearded man that we know today. Throughout the latter half of the 19th century, Santa morphed through a variety of different looks. (laughs) He was initially depicted as a thin, elf-like man dressed in green who was focused on protecting children and sailors. (laughs) Mm -hmm. At other times, he appeared skinny and gaunt with a scraggly beard. And while he may have worn a red coat, he sometimes wore a different colored hat trimmed in black. And it goes on and on and on. It's basically saying that the image that we have of Santa now isn't always how it was depicted. So... And the current one is commercial, right? Like the the red one, it, it's the Coca-Cola, yes. Santa Claus. It's literally associated with a product, right? And then I, I believe I also read that department stores really kind of decide to use Santa Claus as a way to get people into the stores to buy those Christmas gifts, right? And so the very invention of the contemporary Santa Claus is materialistic. And so, you know, we live in a capitalistic society and- And actually, even like, you know, when we talk about the health of our economy, it is about consumer purchase, right? I mean, everything that this society that we're part of. Um, So, again, not knocking on what we are. I mean, all of us buy stuff and want stuff. And this is part of who we are. But but Christmas, it's definitely it's it's like amped up, right? Like the whole what you you said in the beginning, like the 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 pressure and even traditions of, you know, what gifts, how to give gifts and expecting gifts, right? And so it's like you can't, you can't opt out without really Mm. paying, I think, a social price. That's right. That's right. And it highlights to me some of the controversies because the culture is so strong around even the appearance of Santa that he can't be depicted as, as anything else. So there was a couple of years ago when Megyn Kelly was at, at Fox News, she was she made this big deal about Santa is white. Santa can't be black or anything else. And of course, you know, the internet erupted over that. And I think what she's arguing from is a sense of nostalgia, this sense of tradition. We've always done it this way, so it must be this way. There's also the very sort of ridiculous notion of being white people being persecuted or embattled. And this is yet another sign that it's not okay to be white. That's that's not what folks were saying at all. What what we're saying, what they were saying in that instance and what we're saying in this series is that it can be broader. It doesn't just have to be white. And I think a very powerful argument for that is that even the appearance of Santa Claus has changed over time. That's right. From skinny, from wearing different clothes, from having a scraggly beard, all of that. So can't other kids who and parents who want to engage in this aspect of the Christmas season, can't they see themselves 
in this holiday season. That's all we're saying. But of course, you know, you mess with the skin color of one of these icons or figures. And well, actually, that's probably a pretty sure sign it's become somewhat of an idol. (laughs) Yes. And also, if if an imaginary person, right, because Santa Claus, the whole myth of being the North Pole and, you know, giving gifts and all that. That is an imaginary person, right? It's no longer St. Nicholas. It's an mm. imagined magical being. Mm. I mean, and to say that that person has to be white, it doesn't make any sense, right? This is an imaginary person. <laughs> and so, but that that shows how, how what we're, we've been talking about, we're trying to deconstruct that this holiday, the, the, the symbol of this holiday, has become synonymous with whiteness. And so the I don't know, it's it's like the the battle over the whiteness of Santa is mm. is it's it's hurtful, I think, for those of us who feel like, well, why does the most important cultural figure of the most important holiday in the United States have to be white? That's <laughs> very powerful way to put it. And what strikes me is this isn't even just about Santa. So we're talking about the heart of Christmas is Jesus, but even these racialized depictions affect how we envision Jesus himself, who we know was a Jewish man born in what we now call the Middle East and is brown-skinned for all intents and purposes, and yet so often our depictions of Jesus are of a European man. And so I want to talk a bit bit about the most famous image of Jesus comes from an artist named Warner Salman. And he created this image of Jesus in 1940. You can probably picture it now. It's this flowing, straight brownish, light brown hair, light blue eyes, of course, these very thin lips and sharp nose indicative of a European-looking white man. And that has become the most reproduced image of Jesus in the world. By the 1990s, it had been reproduced 500 million times. And so it's become this sort of global icon of what Jesus looks like. And so this goes back to your point. Um, The kids asking, well, if Santa isn't real, is Jesus real? This sort of close connection between these figures and how we've racialized the depiction even of a true, both are true historical figures, but particularly of Jesus, who we know did not look like a European. So how do you deal with those depictions of Jesus, whether in your family or church life? Wow. Um, I mean, when I think about Jesus as God and depicted as a blonde-haired or light brown-haired, blue-eyed person, it's it's deifying whiteness, mm. right? And and rather than, you know, I think majority of the world has, you know, dark hair, dark eyes, and being able to kind of relate to the real Jesus in that way— it's you know this this historical inaccuracy, mm. and then the we know the kind of colonization and politicization of of the religion in order to exploit and to um, 
enslave and to, you know, all the things that Christianity has been used to to defend all the terrible things, that it is all connected, right? That's why mm. it's important to to challenge that image, not just for historical reasons, but because that image has been used in conjunction with evil practices. Right. And so this is a this is a moral, not just kind of like, oh, we're talking, you know, to go from rom-coms to this, people are like, what? <laughs> you know, but this is really important, right? This is really important because it has that historical legacy. And so, but but also everything we've been talking about, even though it's Christmas movies, now I think people, you know, the thing about media is that you watch it unfiltered. It's just fun. It's just entertainment. Right. Christmas right. is just fun. What's a little harm in, you know, thinking that this big old, big round red suited man is only white? I mean, we think, oh, okay, it's, it's just fun pop culture. But this is the way I think that ideology gets transmitted, mm. right? It's not the only way, but it is a massive way because of the, our consuming habits of pop culture, of movies. We just, this is our world now for so many people. And so that idea of who is the main person of the main holiday, who is the main person of the main religion of, of you know, of the West, like all these ideas they just get in there and they stay in there. You know, we're not checking ourselves. We're just living and we think it's no big deal. But in fact, it does have an effect on who we think of as leaders, who we think of are able to be the image of whatever we think is the most important thing in our lives. So, you know, like, especially since Christmas is such a kid's holiday or family holiday, right? Children are growing up seeing only certain images as as legitimate. And that does have an impact on who they think they can be, who they need to submit to, who they need to sit on the laps of, right? Mm. <laughs> to ask for Christmas presents every mm. year. And those photos that people take, that's one thing I never did. I never took my kids to go get Santa photos because of my whole, you know, Santa, I don't know how to say that he's not really real and I don't want right. to make him real. But like just the whole like, Think about it. Has anybody ever taken a photo, you know, as a child on the lap of a non-white Santa? <laughs> and that is the the memory of Christmas, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's happened a little bit more in recent times, but certainly not when I was a kid. That would have been very uncommon to have a Santa that well, you'd have white. to go out of your way exactly. to find a Santa of color. Exactly. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Is there like a, a website? Like <laughs> how to find <laughs> like a Yelp or, you know, location, <laughs> say, an oh, app, like non-white Santa app. So I can go and find one. That might be some, that, 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 that is a trademarked a IP right yeah, there. Yes. I think we need to, I think Jamar and I need to develop that app and make it happen every Christmas. <laughs> know which mall to go to even though they aren't really even malls anymore but this is a whole separate topic um you're so right you you just named it when you said i mean the attitude is what's the harm it's harmless fun right like i think that attitude is far more prevalent and pernicious than the attitude of well santa's white and must be white and that's the only way right like Sure, there are folks who who think that way, but I think the the much more dangerous attitude, because it seems so much more harmless and it's so much more common, is you know what's what's the big deal kind of a thing, and you're right because 
we passively absorb these messages through all sorts of media. And there's that famous test as a sociologist, I'm sure you, you know all the details, but done by two black social scientists, husband and wife couple, the doll test, where they showed kids as young as five years old, uh, a, a brown doll and a, a white doll, right? And even that young, they identified or associated positive characteristics, more positive characteristics with a white doll. And, and these are black kids as well as white kids too. So that young, I mean, the younger our kids are, the more careful we tend to be about what they have access to and what they consume. And this is, I mean, they did the doll test decades ago before we had streaming services, before we had smartphones, right? So, so when it was actually a lot narrower selection of media that kids could be exposed to. And still, still the negative association with darker skin, the more positive association with lighter skin, which is all to say that the default in our society, and I would argue globally, is if you just go with the flow of culture, you will elevate whiteness, or as you said, deify whiteness even. And the flip side of that is demonizing any people of color, anyone not white. So if that's the default, then we actually have to exert positive pressure and take initiative to counteract those messages which are coming fast and furious from all kinds of different directions about the goodness of white people and whiteness and the relative negativity of people of color, especially blackness. So that's all we're saying is, is, is trying to highlight these aspects so that we can be more color conscious, so that we can be more intentional, not to steal the fun of it, but to actually expand the way that people can access these these particular aspects of our culture. Yes, and I think that for this isn't just it shouldn't just be people of color doing this for their own families, yeah. but white families also need Say to be that. interrogating this because then people are always like accusing, I think, those of us who are calling out racism as like, "Oh my gosh, you're being racist." But in fact, when you just like you just said, if you just let status quo go, like if if Children are raised, white children are raised that thinking that Jesus is white, Santa is white only, and that all these, this is the norm, then they're going to grow up being disturbed, right? When there's people of color coming in mm. and saying, hey, Jesus is actually brown mm. and that I can be, you know, me as a woman of color, I can be a pastor in a church, right? When they're thinking, no, but Jesus is white and all my pastors ever have been white men. You know, who are you to think that you can actually participate in spiritual uh, anything, right? It's this like, you are the the subject that we are to, mm. to evangelize to in the third world, but there's no way you can lead over me, right? Oof. And we know that this happens. This is the reality of our religion. And I think our faith needs to be, uh, you know, as expansive as Jesus's ministry was, mm. right? And accepting, especially those who are the most vulnerable. Like, that's actually why I think I've stayed a Christian. I think, you know, I, I, I came to Christianity definitely from like, a, you know, just 
feeling the unconditional love of God and definitely have that born again experience. But I think as I grew and understood, especially my training in sociology and just opening up my mind in all the, to all the inequality in the world, then seeing that, hey, but Jesus was doing this, mm. you know, so long ago, Jesus already got it, <laughs> you know, mm. and feeling like this is the right, this is the right faith for me, right? Such this is right. And so having that as the the roots of my like why I've stayed a Christian and yet knowing that Christmas is the way it is and that people still want to embrace this idea of a Eurocentric Jesus and certainly if not you know a Eurocentric kind of uh, way of doing Christianity it feels it's hard I have to say I have to confess it's very hard it's very very hard I mean that 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 really begs the question we calling this episode Jesus versus Santa. In your view, do you have any thoughts on how Jesus wins? <laughs> how Jesus beats Santa in this Christmas culture, Christmas industrial complex that has arisen? It's interesting. This is a question for you as well, Jamar. Like, how is it that everybody is okay with Santa, but not really with Jesus? Oof. Right? <laughs> I think it's like we can talk about Santa all we want and, you know, I can wear the red hat. But if I were to be like, I don't know, <laughs> bring the nativity scene everywhere I go or something, like people would be like, oh, that's too much. That's too much religion, right? Mm -hmm. Chris, it's like I think the Christmas industrial complex has made Christmas more palatable culturally by moving away from Jesus. But why is Jesus offensive? Mm. What has happened in this world that we have made that Jesus has become not as popular as Santa. Like, what is going on, right? Because everything I just said about, you know, this this unconditional love, this, this person, God made man, who came and was here to defend the weak, to actually, like, he was like a feminist. He actually, you know, hung out with women, <laughs> right? And sorry, you know, if I say feminist, people are like, oh my gosh, feminist is terrible. I, feminist, what I mean by feminist is just, he elevated women and said that mm. they had a right to be called a child of God. Mm. And so like all these things should be good, should be wonderful things to celebrate during Christmas. But somehow Jesus has become, you know, and I'm not saying like this is a war on Jesus. I'm actually saying more culturally, why has, has Jesus gotten a bad rep? <laughs> you know, what have we done as Christians, right? That Santa is much more palatable than Jesus. That's right. Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, certainly a couple of things jump out. One is the political stances of many people who call themselves Christians, um, particularly in the past several years, right? Particularly folks who, who call themselves evangelical. I think that turns a lot of people away from even considering who Jesus really is, uh, what Jesus really stands for, because the representatives who, who say they follow Jesus seem to, to be so unloving, right? I think that's one aspect. But I think there's also another aspect, even beyond the sort of culture wars that we're talking about, is Jesus makes demands on our lives. Um, he's loving. He's inclusive. Jesus elevates people and <laughs> requires us to follow him and be like him, which means 
taking up your cross means denying self, right? Means not being as selfish as we would probably be on our own. Whereas Santa, no demands, no regard, milk and cookies in, in the middle of the night. Like that's all Santa Claus asks. And as a matter of fact, Santa Claus comes bearing gifts, material gifts that we want, right? But Jesus uh, gives us the gift of eternal life. <laughs> exactly. But I can't play that on a video game or <laughs> wear that, you know, out to a party. Um, so, you know, just how how very in the moment temporal we are and and how much easier it is to focus on these Santa is low stakes. Jesus is high stakes. Very much so. Exactly. But the reward, obviously, as we believe, so much more. But yes, the sacrifice. But it's just interesting to me. I think, not that I want to water down Jesus and make him like a, you know, Coca-Cola figure, but I just wonder if we can present Jesus. I feel like the, the sacrifice of the individual, it will come but it's the love of Christ that draws, right? Mm. And that love is so much more than Santa bringing gifts down mm. a chimney, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just, I would just challenge listeners to really embody the love of Christ, not in a judgmental way, right. but really kind of love people the season, you know, and not through just gifts, but really reaching out and creating relationships with people, building, like showing and and modeling the love of Christ. That's all. I don't have to say like, Jesus, Jesus, this, you know, but just being Jesus to, to people in your lives, both people mm. who are of faith and people that maybe not yet. So, mm. I think as we think about this question of Jesus versus Santa, we know in a cosmic sense, Jesus is already one um, over enemies, much bigger than uh, a, a, a jolly man in a red suit, right? But how do we remind ourselves of that, I think, is, is, is the question. And I think of three aspects, community, ritual, and story. Community, ritual, and story. So one way we remind ourselves that Jesus is the center of Christmas is through community. And this has gotten really hard and tenuous, especially in the past few years, but I think community can look a lot of different ways. I think for me, what the pandemic did was illustrate in a, in a, in a new way, in a, in a deeper way, that the church is truly the people and not simply a place. And so what community can look like is a group chat, uh, Zoom calls, informal gatherings, right? It doesn't always have to be this formal. Now, nothing wrong with that. And if you've got a place of worship and a congregation you could go to, bless you. Uh, a lot of people don't right now or feel like they're they're displaced. But but there is still something critical about gathering with others around this season. And whether that's biological family or your chosen family, whatever that community looks like, that is is critical. And, and I say that sensitively, knowing that it's it's really hard for a lot of people around this time, especially. The other aspect that will help us, I think, remind ourselves of the heart of Christmas is, is ritual. Um, another word might be tradition. I think one of the reasons the Christmas season is so powerful so many, for so many is because annually you engage in these practices, whether it's the music we listen to or putting up a tree or even shopping for Christmas presents. It's the same. 
There's a there's a there's a continuity, and and we have to remember that that we aren't just intellectual beings. We're mind, body, spirit, and so we actually have to engage in rituals and practices that that remind us of what's most important in life. And so, I really think the 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 sort of four weeks of of Advent leading up to that can be really powerful ritual, whether it's lighting a candle or just meditating on scripture or whatever. It builds this sense of anticipation. It puts us in a rhythm, even just for a month, of of looking at things a certain way in, in hope and anticipation. And so those rituals can be all kinds of things. And then lastly is, is story. More and more, as, as I just think about the work of justice and, and the way to sort of persuade people and captivate people, so much of it comes down to story. It's partly why I'm a historian, it's because it, history is is simply the story of, of us <laughs> long before the TV sitcom or, uh, um, drama came along. It, uh, history has always been the story of us. And to, to tell the story of Jesus, when you reminded us very hopefully to be Christ-like toward others. One of my favorite w- rituals with my family is just reading the nativity story from the Gospels but focusing on the story. Like, this is the hope that we have, that for generation after generation, there was this hope and this expectation of a Messiah. And he came in the most unexpected way. So as, a, as an infant baby born to a poor family, so that anybody who ever felt weak, whoever felt vulnerable, whoever felt not included, Jesus knows what that's like. And that's the hope that we have, and that's the hope that's fulfilled on Christmas Day that makes it such a beautiful time of year to remind us we're not alone and that Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means God with us. And God shows us that through Jesus. God is with us. Uh, So beautiful. So beautiful. I feel like I'm just going to have my kids listen to what you just said on Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just perfect. Jamar. So totally many different perfect. ways to, to to tell that story. And I think that's our responsibility. That's our charge. That's our joy is to tell that story mm-hmm. through the lens of our lives in as many different ways and as compelling a way as we can to tell people the story of how Jesus grabbed our souls and embraced us and how that can be true for them too. So hopefully, <laughs> as we conclude, that's a good reminder. That uh, as we as we dream of a not white Christmas, what we dream of even more, and what we we hold on to and grasp as our hope, is Jesus, who's at the heart of all of this. Nancy, this has been a joy to to do this with you. Thank you so much for sharing this, everything. This has been Christmas joy for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And thank you so much for tuning in to this series. We hope you appreciated it. Hey, if you want Nancy and I to do more stuff together, let us know wherever you see this posted. Put in a comment. What should be our next topic? What should we tackle next? Any even lingering questions you have around this series. We appreciate you so much for taking this journey with us. Thank you to InterVarsity Press. Thank you to Richard Clark for editing and producing for us and the whole team. We thank you for joining us on I'm Dreaming of a Not White. Christmas. Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas.